Welcome to Why Language Matters, a podcast brought to you by the inclusion team at Sunrun. Words have the power to heal, guide, and motivate. They can also confuse, mislead, and even hurt us. This podcast explores words, their meanings, and how we can use language to be more inclusive. When the 13th Amendment was ratified and slavery was abolished in the United States, a collection of both state and local laws called the Jim Crow laws were enacted to uphold the balance of power in America and to continue the marginalization of African-Americans and others by denying fair access to voting, jobs, and equal education, among others. Segregation allowed the continued banning of African-Americans and people of color from using various facilities like drinking fountains, schools, housing communities, the list goes on. Many relics of that past are still alive and used today, including in our language, phrases like grandfather clause, master bedroom, mumbo jumbo, and the peanut gallery, just to name a few. And there's also other words and phrases that have been adopted over the years in the United States that hold racist language and connotations that affect people from many different communities, such as open the kimono, Indian style, Eskimo, paddy wagon, long time no see, beaner, and too many more. In the 1940s, so 24 years before segregation was abolished, psychologists Kenneth and Mamie Clark designed and conducted a series of experiments to study the psychological effects of segregation on African-American children. These tests were known as the doll tests, and I personally vividly remember learning about this, not in junior high or high school, where I think art history ought to be taught, but in college when I was studying to become a classroom teacher. And I might add that this was a special course called multicultural education that I chose to enhance my degree in learning with because I was a teacher in inner city schools at the time. These doll tests were conducted on black children to quote, see the extent to which their color, their sense of their own race and status influenced their judgment about themselves and self-esteem. The test was carried out by putting a child in a room with two dolls, one black and one white. The children were asked a series of questions such as which doll is the prettiest and which doll is the nice doll, to which the children responded that the white doll was those things. When questions such as which doll is the bad doll or which doll is the ugly doll, the children pointed to the black doll. And of course, not all children had these same answers. Some would cry and refuse to answer the questions and some would run out of the room. The doll experiment was recreated by a renowned child psychologist, Margaret Beale Spencer in 2010 with disturbingly similar results. They found that, quote, white children as a whole responded with a high rate of what researchers call white bias, identifying the color of their own skin with positive attributes and darker skin with negative attributes. Spencer even said that black children as a whole have some bias toward whiteness, but far less than white children. So feelings about the color of our skin are not born into us. We don't enter into this world thinking we're superior or inferior to someone else based on the color or tone of our skin. Um, so why do we why do we adopt these um, these thinkings about our own skin and, and other people's skin? In today's episode, we're going to talk about colorism. Uh, what is colorism? Colorism is treating someone differently due to the hue of their skin tone. Typically, it's the preference for light skin over dark skin and is reflected in beauty standards, hiring practices, and many of our other societal systems that are in place today. 
This typically results in people who have darker skin tone being treated with prejudice or discrimination. But we're gonna hear from our guests today about all different types of colorism that they've experienced. Thank you all for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this important topic. I'm gonna go around and I'd like you all to introduce yourself. Jim, would you like to go first? Thanks, Nicole. Yeah, uh, this is Jim Chin, Director of Sales uh, for New York and New Jersey on the field side. Uh, and yeah, excited to be here. Thank you. My name is Ricky and I'm a software engineer and my pronouns are she, her. I am first generation American born on my biological dad's side, second generation on my mom's side, and I am Fiji Indian, which means I am technically Indian from India, but with a Fiji twist. Many generations were born in Fiji. My name is Tyrone EJ. I'm the director of field, sa field safety. I'm sorry, field safety and quality. And I am uh, very excited to join this podcast and uh, discuss um, these issues that, you know, are apparent in, you know, all cultures in a sense. So thank you. My name is Christine Hall. Um, I am half black, half white. Very excited to be here today and talk about this really important topic that I don't feel is talked about enough, um, but also giving a really different perspective to it. So excited to see how this chat flows today and provide a really, really great podcast episode. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Deanna Hernandez. I am a clean energy district manager here in Chicago. Um, I help on the retail and sales side here with Sunrun. Um, I'm super honored to be a part of this and um, really fortunate to be involved in, in this um, industry and company and just really grateful for you guys around here and wanting to share some of our struggles and trials and tribulations that not many people understand what we go through. So thank you. Thank you. Okay, so let's let's dive into it. Um, I'm, I'm curious and, and anybody you know, feel free to unmute and just go ahead and speak up. But I'm curious is how have you experienced colorism in your life? So I'll, I'll, I'll jump, I'll jump in here first. Uh, so my experience with colorism use of, well, came from my time as a child, a young adult. I, and normally it was, involving social interactions. So I remember, you know, just, you know, dating or, you know, things along those lines and I'm, or attempting to, you know, you know, meet someone or, you know, let someone know that I was attracted to them. And I recall a lot of the times hearing that, oh, you're a great person, you're smart, you're this and that. But if you were a little lighter that, you know, I would, I would date you. And this happened about five to six different times. And, you know, during my childhood, during my you know, teenage years and stuff like that, it was usually, oh, you're a great guy, but, you know, I only date light-skinned guys. And just, I couldn't understand. I, I was like, well, you know, I have these attributes. Is this really an issue? And it clearly was an issue. Uh, you know, I grew up in New York City you know, very you know, diverse city, but this was embedded within the African-American community, 
uh, you know, where I grew up is, uh, you know, basically it was thought that if you were darker, you probably were not going to be successful. Uh, you would probably wind up, you know, locked up. Uh, you were just not, not considered to be a catch, irrespective of your attributes. So those are my experiences, you know, primarily socially. On a job front, not as much. Not as much. I didn't really experience that in the job front. Um, and traveling a bit here and there. Yes, I did experience that a bit while traveling in which, you know, there are assumptions and, you know, people come up to you and they start, uh, you know, immediately, you know, speaking in a uh, inner city vernacular <laughs> to you and, you know, things like that. Uh, you know, what's up, brother? And, and it's it's that type of thing when I watch them interact with others of different shades and it's not the same. So those are some of my, uh, you know, recollections of colorism. Thank you so much for sharing, Tyrone. That's, I, I, I can't even believe that somebody would think that, but also just have the gall to say that to you. Like, I just... That's absolutely beyond me. And I'm so sorry that you had to deal with that. I'll jump in because I want to go off of something Tyrone said, actually, um, in terms of the, the dating, right? So we'll, we'll talk about dating. Um, I'm actually from upstate New York, so it's a little more diverse now, <laughs> but we're talking, you know, I'm 32, we're talking 20 years ago, it wasn't. And um, when I was a teenager and I started to date, one of the things that really would always take me back was how many Caucasian males would stress to me that I was, oh, you're the first black girl I've ever <laughs> been with and things like that. And back then I remember it really making me feel some type of way, but not understanding fully why it made me feel that type of way. And just being told that all the time, like it was some type of prize, really, really got to me because I'm like, that shouldn't matter. And as somebody, my family actually is extremely mixed. <laughs> we are very, very mixed. All of my first cousins on my dad's side, we are all biracial, every single one of us. And so, you know, to hear that coming from somebody's mouth was, it was really gut-wrenching because it was like, they were evaluating me based off of that. But then I was still never light enough to be brought home to the parents and to be shown right and this is like you guys are seeing me because we're on a video this is like the lightest i usually <laughs> this is like the darkest i am <laughs> right so it, it was something that i really really struggled with growing up but um for me the colorism really came within my own family um i have a very very large opinionated family and um one of the things that i really always experienced with what I won't get into the logistics, but the side, one side of our family, um, because we were light-skinned, uh, a lot of the things that we experienced were discredited. Like we didn't go through those experiences because we were of mixed race. Um, I was made out to feel like, oh, well, you're, you're half white. So, you know, you don't go through the th same things as I do. And I'm not saying I do, but I will say that I had a lot of really rough experiences that were discredited by my own family. Um, Meanwhile, my very white mother grew up poorer than poor and had her own trials and things that she had to go through. So, you know, that whole narrative of, well, you're just giving, people are just handing things to you was so not 
the case at all. But because I was, because I am mixed race, I really experienced that within my own family. Um, I remember the one thing that really got to me. And that's when I think, of course, back then I did not realize it was anything like this, but I remember being called by my own cousin, a half N-word, and it killed me. And I think about that every single day still. And she called me this when we were in like high school. And so really feeling outcasted by my own family um, in terms of because I am mixed was, was hard because I never felt like I had a place. I didn't feel like I had a place on the white side or the black side. And so I found this, I'm the stuck up one <laughs> because I isolated myself from, from that kind of um, behavior. So, you know, I never, I didn't really experience it in the workplace. Um, but that's also because a lot of people could also never tell what I was and they still can't. I get it a lot. And that's part of the reason why I have my hair in braids so that I can really show <laughs> like, hey, there's no questions here. Like I'm, this is who I am. And so it's been a really interesting journey. And now that we're talking about this kind of stuff, it, I didn't even realize how far back it actually dates that I've been going through this. So yeah, wow, this is heavy guys. <laughs> that that definitely resonates and i know we've talked about this in the past christina you know if you if you are biracial and you are half and half and you know one side of your family is one thing and the other side of your family is another um it really does get to the point where you feel like you're not enough of either to be fully in one camp and being that isolated from your own family from your own blood is like you know well what then where do i belong where, where should i be and um, i feel like i got isolated a lot growing up even up into college and afterwards um by women of color i got a lot of hate i got a lot of hate from women of color um i actually had an experience down here in florida when i first moved here that was it was really scary actually. And it was a really, really bad situation. Um, but you know, the instant thing that was said, it was like, oh, you and your little white girlfriend. And it was just like, come on, man. <laughs> like, I, I, I've gotten a lot of hate within, uh, from females within the black community because of that. And so it was really hard growing up um, because it's like, I can't fully relate to my white friends um but i didn't really have black friends that i could hang out with either and that was tough yeah i'm gonna go off of christina and tyrone as well because i grew up with colorism i still experience it up to this day um and in the familial aspect indians fiji indians and especially my family they're very into their traditions <clears throat> and they like to carry on their traditions but I remember growing up and especially during the summer. So I get very dark in the summer. I look lighter, a lot lighter in the winter and stuff. So I get very dark in the summer to the point where people will think I'm mixed with black or think that I'm pure black or Ethiopian or Dominican because I speak Spanish as well. Um, and so people can't really figure out what nationality I am or you know ethnicity I am. But I remember growing up and my mom would always be like, don't sit in the sun too long. And I'd be like, well, why? And they're like, because you're going to get really dark. And I'm like, well, that's just the way that it is. I'm a kid. It's summertime. I want to go swimming. You know what I mean? What am I, what am I supposed to do? I want to go outside and play with my friends. And, um, and in my family that I grew up with on my mom's side, um, me and my brother 
who's got the same biological parents, we have the darker skin tone from our biological father. And my mom's lighter skin, she, he, she's more like uh, your skin tone, Nicole. And my brother, my baby brother on that side is half Jewish, half Indian. And so his dad is Caucasian. And when you are the two, my brother and I talk about this today, like these days now, um, we were the two darker skin toned ones in the family. And even within my immediate family, I kind of felt isolated because it, we just felt different. We were looked at different. I remember when we moved to another state that was more rural for a year, because we grew up in the Bay Area mostly, people would be very welcoming to my mom, my stepdad, and my, my youngest brother. But when they came to the two of us, they kind of almost looked at us like, are they adopted? Are they part of your family? Um, and it's it's really, it gave me such an identity crisis sometimes to be like, do I belong in this family? Do I, you know, my my own parents don't understand what I'm going through and they don't try to understand what I'm going through. Um, so I kind of just felt less than sometimes or I had a different set of rules I had to follow, like not going out into the sun for too long or if I did come back in, it would be mentioned within the Fijian community in my family, like, oh, wow, you got really dark. And it's like, why is that a thing? Why, like, why is that such a negative thing that I got dark, you know? And I had once asked my, my family, why is that a thing, right? And they said it back in the day, it was because of class and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, that generally the workers in the field would get dark and those that were richer were inside more, so they were light. And it just never sat well with me. And I just still didn't understand it. I was like, well, that may have been how it was back in the day, but when is that gonna change for us? You know, and so with my son, he's 13 years old. He's half Mexican and half uh, Fiji Indian. I don't carry that on. You know what I mean? Like I'll tell him to put sunscreen on because of his skin, like just not getting damaged, but it has nothing to do with his color whatsoever. And then, you know, growing up, getting into the professional world, um, even just being out on the streets and stuff and, and living in different areas, and surprisingly, like I said, I grew up in the Bay Area. I also faced it in the Bay Area where you would think there is so much more diversity so you wouldn't experience it there, but I did, I did. Um, so yeah, in the professional world, I have experienced it at times, depending on the job and depending on what state I've lived in, but nothing quite so blatant to where somebody said it to me directly it's always kind of like microaggressions or things like they'll ignore me um until it's somebody else that's not me that talks to them more usually a caucasian male so that's my experience with colorism that really sticks with me it really started at a very young age Um, thank you guys for sharing so far. Um, definitely can resonate with quite a few of those examples. Um, but a couple that I want to point out are the family influence that I've had and, and then a professional uh, workplace one. So long ago when I was a little bit younger, um, probably I was like not even 10, uh, you know, you're starting to like boys and <laughs> you start getting attracted to the other races and you're like, oh my God, you're, you're interested, right? And as soon as I got into middle school, I finally had my first boyfriend 
and he was black. And so I have a very, very, I guess you could say strict Catholic upbringing. Um, I'm Mexican American, so I was born here in the United States, but my mother, my grandparents and everybody were born in Mexico. And so having to be raised with those, I guess, strict beliefs and um, I almost wasn't even allowed to. I had to date within my own race. That was that was what was told to me. And I didn't believe that. I, you know, <laughs> I rebelled, I guess you could say at a really young age. I guess that's where it stemmed from, right? Um, because you knew it wasn't true. You knew it felt it didn't right. It wasn't right. And so that was probably one of my early on um, experiences with colorism. Um, and as soon as I got a little older, you definitely started seeing some of the like the clicks, right? Who are you hanging out with? Who's all involved in that specific group? And you can kind of see the races um, in a certain click, right? Like only some of the Hispanics were kind of hanging together. And unless you were, I guess, of a higher status or whatever, you had the flexibility of, you know, moving around and whatnot. Um, so I kind of noticed that too in my um, high school days. And I, I grew up in a predominantly Hispanic en environment. And so to kind of see these cliques per se, I, I thought it was ridiculous. Um, I was involved in many things, sports, music, um, and a lot of after-school academic activities. And so I got a chance to have friends outside of my race. Um, and it felt really nice. It felt really cool to understand and, and learn and grow from other people's experiences. And so I, I really didn't accept, I guess, colorism as, as an entity, right, as, as, as an idea. Um, and so later on, uh, fast forward now to my first year with Sunrun, um, I'm out in the stores, I'm at the Home Depot, you know, pitching customers and, you know, trying to help them go solar. And I remember this interaction <clears throat> clearly. Um, I walked up to this gentleman and, you know, hey, I'm, I'm a happy-go-lucky person. I'm cheerful, you know, I'm excited. And so I bring all this excitement. He knocked that down 20 notches immediately. He turned to me with the most smug look. And as soon as he checked my hair, I have, I have kind of curly wavy hair, you know, wasn't straight, wasn't blonde, just like him. And he literally turned to me and said, after with a disgusting face, why are you even talking to me? You need to go back to your own country. And little did he know, I was born here in the United States, probably just like him, right? Um, there was a lot of things that I, I wish I could have said, but I had my uniform shirt on, right? I, I remembered that, you know what, I have to be above that. I, I cannot stoop to that level like him, you know, and, and that turning point right there, I couldn't even finish the rest of my day. <laughs> it was hard as it was, I, I had never gone through a situation like that, let alone in a professional environment. And just within the last few years, like you really wouldn't expect things like this to still happen 
Um, but I guess not necessarily my ignorance, but my belief that there are good people out there. And so I chose to think differently and that kind of reset my reality. Wow, Deanna, thank you for sharing. And I'm so sorry that, that you experienced that, like not just anywhere, but at your place of work, which I think is like another layer to all those feelings. You feel like you have to have this professional front, you're representing the company. Um, and so you can't necessarily react in the ways that you may want to, but um, I'm glad that you were able to kind of spin that story around for yourself. Um, and I, I hope that you know that, you know, I've, I've, we've talked about some heavy stuff in these podcasts before. And, um, you know, I've heard over and over that Sunrun will not tolerate things like this. And so, you know, if, if there's ever another instance, like I just urge you to, you know, bring that up the chain and, um, you know, deal with it in however you need to deal with that to make sure that you are okay physically um, and emotionally. So I, I definitely wanted to, to let you know about that. Thank you. Yeah, at the time I, you almost feel not ashamed per se, but like with all the recent events and with everything going on, you feel like there won't be any help. So you feel like why, why even bring it up? But thank you. You know, I think one of the interesting things that I'm hearing is a lot of the sort of guilt and pain that's, you know, built in and it's very, you know, it's like, I, I, I'm not sure where the outlets are for that kind of stuff with what Christina was saying, what Ricky was saying. Uh, just, it's very powerful to hear. I, I just, <clears throat> my, my experience with colorism is actually recent. Um, you know, I think as a child, I experienced more, I would say, racism than colorism or stereotyping. Um, but as I've gotten older and I have two teenage daughters now, and, you know, I'm really conscious of the media and social media. And, you know, uh, being from Korea, or I was a Korean American, I was, I was born here. Um, you know, I do follow a lot of the kind of Korean like exports, right? There's Korean is exporting a lot of media right now, whether it's music or, or television. And one of the famous groups is uh, BTS. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of them, but if you look at BTS or any of the Korean like stars, they are, are as pale as, as can be. They are known for being as light skinned as possible. And that's a complete juxtaposition from how me and my family is. You probably can't tell I, I'm fairly tan. And my girls just, you know, love being outside and being tan. And then so I just I've been noticing this serious, you know, dichotomy between <clears throat> why do why do they think of that? Why is that the, you know, the the ideal? And I definitely don't want my kids thinking that way. You know, I, I like <clears throat> I don't want them thinking, well, I need to buy a lightning cream so I can be paler or more, you know, of a certain complexion. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I mean, it's something that I just want to talk about and, and help to understand better myself and, and see if we can't get, take a step forward in reducing like these thought processes is like, why, you know, why is that the case? And, and why is that so sought after, you know? So that's sort of been my, my recent <clears throat> experience with that. And 
just reading a lot of the articles, you know, like the uh, uh, the one about um, Elon, the senator, she felt a ton of guilt being light-skinned, you know, which I thought was also incredible, like to feel guilty because you're of a certain, you know, tone. So, yeah, that's sort of just my understanding of, of colorism and, and my sort of recent experience with it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing, Jim. I, my father, although he is Caucasian, he moved to Thailand back in 2009, um, and he's been there ever since. And I was fortunate enough to go visit him while he was, you know, living in Phuket, which is beautiful. Um, and, you know, I'm, I love being tan, like, I, I love it. Um, I, you, you talk about like that guilt for being lighter skin, like I feel that. Um, I grew up in a very multiracial family. So my, my mom's Ecuadorian, my older sister is half Mexican, my brother and I are half white, my little sister is half black. So we kind of run the gamut on, on colors in, in our immediate family with my siblings. And it's interesting because we would always have competitions to who was the darkest. Obviously, obviously my little sister always won that, but like, you know, between the three lighter skinned of us, um, my older sister would get so mad that I was darker than her because she was full Latino. <laughs> and, you know, I was only half, why was I darker than her? Um, so it's really interesting when you think about it that way. But when I was in Thailand, um, you know, I was looking for lotion, just lotion, you know, I, I know that it's humid there, but I like lotion on my skin. I don't, my mom used to call me ashy when I was a kid. I don't like doing that. And um, it was so difficult for me to find lotion that did not have bleach in it. And that like really, really opened my eyes to, you know, what I thought was an America issue is kind of a global issue. And I think Tyrone, you were kind of talking about that a little bit as well. Yes. So um, I spent two weeks in the Philippines and uh, I had a um, I had an opportunity to see the, the the division based on colorism, shall we say. Um, the domestics, you know, individuals who were cleaning with this or that uh, very dark or darker, those who kind of ran the country and, you know, um, were the most affluent, were the lightest skin. And then, of course, as Nicole mentioned, there are billboards of lightning cream all over the place. I was like, wow. You know, I had no idea. Like you are saying, I had no idea that this was as ubiquitous across the world as it was in the U.S. Um, and just the movies, you know, you talk about cinema. Uh, I see that in the cinema, you know, who's represented, who's not, whether it be Bollywood or, you know, anything, you know, any of the imports from, you know, a career, um, as James mentioned, you notice who's put forth and who's back. But additionally, um, in traveling to the Caribbean, I uh, was recently in the uh, Dominican Republic. And I noticed that, you know, the ones who were kind of uh, running the resort were, you know, lighter skinned, if not almost white, and anyone who was cleaning the rooms were dark, essentially. So, you know, they didn't interact with you. They weren't allowed to speak with you. You would try to say hello. They would kind of hold their heads down. It was just, it was just odd to see how ubiquitous this issue is across the world, you know. So just, just my two cents here. I mean, I don't have a lot of international travel, but uh, bringing it back domestically a little bit, 
here even where I live, I live in a predominantly Caucasian area that was a lot less diverse when I first moved here. Um, and with my son, and this one's gonna be difficult for me because even now in school, he, I remember he came home one day and he was really distraught and I had a conversation with him and he was like, my skin is dirty because he was darker skin tone than the people here that he was going to school with predominantly at that time. And I went into really protective mama bear mode and started crying at the same time. Um, and I had to teach him and body positivity and skin color positivity and things like that about being a darker skin tone. And um, I did have to tell him about what the family is like on my side, because I didn't want him to be surprised if anybody said anything. And I wanted him to know how to handle it. Because even if I were to go back, well, not back or to um, Fiji, which I've never been to, it's like that, like Tyrone was saying, like where the workers are darker skinned and they get paid less. Um, and those that are lighter skinned are seen as more educated and and are given a lot more civil courtesies than than those of darker skin tone. Yeah, it makes me want to cry, Ricky. I like my whole chest just swelled up as you were talking about that. It, my, my little cousin, actually, who is the feistiest six-year-old you'll ever meet, like cursed some girl out on the playground because she was like, you're not black. And she's like, yes! Damn. And actually it made you talking about that made me think about, you know, mine's a little different, but I think for me, one of the biggest struggles, and I had a situation happen internationally um, with people not knowing my ethnicity and not being able to pick it up. And it actually, it, it was really hard as a kid to always have to explain it. Right. And I re remember being in on my way home from Thailand and I had a layover in Beijing and we were getting visas in order to go out um, into the country so we could go to the Great Wall. And the woman at the at the kiosk desk questioned me, questioned my race, um, but then proceeded to tell me I looked Asian because of my the shape of my eyes and, and questioned if I should even like where I was from. And it was really weird. It was also like 2.30 in the morning. And I have this woman like going in on me about where I'm from. And it almost felt like if I didn't answer properly, it was gonna cause an issue. It was really weird situation to be in with seeing people just, again, not knowing. And it's okay to not know, but it's also, I don't, you know, if you really don't know, just ask, <laughs> don't assume. Um, and, and so just, just hearing you guys talk about the international experiences, I just remember that, that being, and, and the reason why it was such a trigger for me with her doing that and, you know, questioning me, was she doing anything necessarily wrong? No, but there was a trigger of childhood trauma, um, being everybody my entire life, um, has made fun of me for the shape of my eyes. Oh, you're not really in this family you're asian you're not black or you're not white whatever that is right and and hearing that and coming from a big black family 
tough love and picking on people is the quote unquote norm, right? That's what we grow up with in the culture. So I always had new experiences. And then going to a, a country where it is an Asian country and then being told, it just triggered the hell out of me. And it was a really weird experience. And, you know, not to mention all the times I've been called light bright and all that horrible stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, just, just hearing your guys' stuff about the international stuff really brought me back to that weird memory that I didn't realize why it was such an issue for me, but it was because of the childhood trauma attached to it. You know, I just wanted to touch on what um, Christina has been through. So I have two children, boy and a girl, uh, interracial, uh, half black, half German, again, kind of upstate New York, not as far. Um, and what I've noticed is they've leaned to one side or the other. So it's been an interesting yes. thing to yes. watch them. Yes. yes. One has embraced or not embraced, but one is very comfortable. So my son is very comfortable with, you know, you know, the white culture. He's, you know, he comes, he's just, it doesn't phase him. He blends right in, innocuous, this and that whole thing, all is well with the world, plays Dungeons and Dragons, this and that, that kind of kid. No issue. My daughter, on the other hand, and you kind of remind me of her, Christina, you know, uh, she has actually, you know, had a different experience in the same high school and she has leaned more toward black. So now, you know, she's feeling like, you know, she wasn't accepted. She used to be in cheer, um, but due to the lack of diversity, she kind of left that and uh, just, just a number of issues. But now she recently experienced uh, kind of reverse Yes. From the darker skinned girls who have now, you know, kind of pushed back on her and said, wait a minute, you know, why are you coming here? Yes. I, you know, I, ooh, I, yes, I know you understand. Triggering me right now. You're, you guys, I'm about to just go up. Yes. <laughs> so I'll leave it at that. I, I would say my same thing with my brother and I. My brother was like Mr. And Nicole knows my brother. He's the most arrogant person. <laughs> he, but he was like Mr. Like popularity, three sport athlete, like, and was great, right? He had, he's got a lot of white friends. I don't think Aaron ever had an issue molding or being with the in crowd, right? Whereas I was still a three sport athlete. I had my friends, like I wasn't, you know, I was still, I would say semi-popular, right? But I didn't have the same experiences as him. And I also have leaned more towards my black side, especially in my older age. And quite honestly, I really don't identify with my white side quite quite at all. <laughs> like my, and um, it's, it's, it's funny because because of those experiences, I've had the same thing as you're seeing with your daughter, um, with with women that are darker than me, and um, just being picked on. Or uh, I remember, like my, my own cousins again. When I first got my braids and my hair two years ago, um, they're dumb. <laughs> they were in a group chat that I was in, and they proceeded to take a picture of me that I posted, share it in the group chat to all make fun of me. But they forgot I was in the chat, and so it was really. Oh, I went off. I haven't. I went off, right? Like so, feeling from um, women for me specifically within the culture, 
like I'm not good enough. I get that. I've experienced my whole life and it's affected me because I don't necessarily feel like I can, I don't feel welcomed. I don't feel like that with the male community, but with the women, I don't feel welcomed. It's really hard to stomach. It's so interesting that you bring that up, Tyrone, because my brother and I are the ones who are half and half, and it's the exact same story. My brother was not an athlete <laughs> in high school at all. Um, I, I was in cheer, I was in dance, you know, I did all of that stuff, but um, he always identified more with the white community. And still to this day, you know, I talk about, oh, do you remember tostada? You know, like how grandma used to make that and he'll scoff at me and like with this ugly face, be like, I don't like that shit. And I'm like, wow, you know, like you really don't love our culture. But me, I, I, I identify as Latina, you know, I, I'll be very upfront with people that I'm half and half. I do, um, I am privileged with my lighter skin and my last name and, you know, all of these other things, but um, I do not feel like I am white, even though some people do think that I am. And that has gotten me into some conversations that are just really, really uncomfortable and have singled me out because I will not stand by to, to hear, you know, bad talk about races, particularly when my siblings are part of those races. And so I'll stand out and, you know, I'll, I'll shout and I'll get all upset. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. And I, I, somebody told me, and I know it was a compliment that they had told me and, and Ricky, Christina, you may, um, have heard something like this or similar, but he called me ambiguously ethnic. I think that was a compliment, but at the same time, I'm also so tired of hearing the, what are you? Yeah. If I'm an alien, you know? I'm a human. Like, that's what I always respond right. with. I'm a human. That's my exact response. Like, let's try to fix that, fix that verbiage. <laughs> yeah. Get that. Ricky, were you going to say something? Oh, no. I, 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 like I explained earlier, I get, I get confused or mistaken for a lot of different cultures and ethnicities from especially like when I'm darker I get mistaken from black I've been mistaken for black or mixed a lot because of my skin color and I think because of that though um, I've also felt more comfortable around black people because they accept me for who I am they accept my dark skin color they um, they help me navigate it better than anybody else in my life ever really had um, so yeah, that's that whole, what are you? Um, uh, my favorite, I think, and I say favorite in the, because it's kind of comical, they would come up to me, uh, like I used to get a lot of Ethiopians that, that would come up to me and ask me, are you from my country? And I would be like, Where, what country are we talking about? I'm not sure. And I was like, you know, it kind of found it comical in a way, but and trying to like make light of it. But at the same time, I'm like, no, I'm, you know, I'm teaching Indian, but they were always really sweet about it and nice about it. But some people are not. Some people are just blatant, like, where are you from? Are you this? Are you this? Are you this? And they'll just keep going. And you're like, just, just chill. I'll tell you where my ethnicity comes from. Um, and my son, you know, 
he's mixed, right? He's half Mexican, half uh, Indian, but he 100% identifies more with his Mexican side than his Indian side. Part of that, I think, though, is that we don't live near any of my family, but, and we live a, a, close to a lot of his dad's side of the family. But even when I do try to introduce him to a lot more of the Indian stuff or, um, you know, food or culture or traditions, some of the traditions he'll accept and he'll, um, he'll do but a lot of the times you know like he speaks spanish and english he does not speak one lick of hindi and i don't speak that much hindi myself but uh he's he's 100 percent like says i'm mexican i'm mexican i'm like no you're mexican and indian together but you know that's fine <laughs> um but yeah the the what are you it's um kind of jarring the first time you hear it, I think, right? Like, because you're not used to it when, at least I wasn't growing up. That a lot of this has caused, right? And a lot of trauma that it has caused each of us, whether it's from childhood or adulthood or, you know, dating, whatever it is. How can people be better allies? How can we start to do better and you know, obviously having this conversation is a start just to acknowledge that people have different experiences and, and they can be painful. But what more do you all think that we could do, you know, individually as a society in order to make people feel much more safe and to kind of stop this prejudice and microaggressions and frankly micro assaults from what I've heard from you all um, on an ongoing basis? It feels cliche when I say this, but at least for me and the people I can think about in my life um, and people I've come across is not to assume that somebody hasn't experienced things within their life um, just because of, you know, the shade of their skin. And I, I'm somebody who is a very big communicator and I just feel like if people could be more open um, to actually having that tough conversation um, without the assumptions, it, it really could go a long way. And it, and it seems so generic, but I, again, speaking from my experiences, I am an open book. I will tell, I have a whole list over here of things I could talk about, right? Like I, I want to be able to share that. And if somebody would just be open to asking uh, what has, have your experiences been, um, then I think they would think twice before pl placing that judgment. You know, for me, I'm, I'm really just lucky because I got to be on this panel to to hear the 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 truth out of everyone and uh, it really affected me quite deeply. And so I can take my own individual responsibility in this and make sure I, I try to lead my life and approach my interactions, you know, in the best, best way. Uh, for me, I... I I want to find a way to kind of impact the media a little bit because we, we didn't have time to go through this, but, you know, I've been very cognizant of watching media, television commercials. And I think what I found is that it almost doesn't matter what the ethnicity is. It's the lightest version of that ethnicity that gets represented in, in the media, whether it's TV commercials or I, you know, so I'm not sure how I'm going to approach this, but I, I do want to, I do want to create something that talks about that in a public forum and why, you know, like, why is it always the, the lightest tone, you know, 
skin that gets in gets that job or the role and uh i think that helps create like this structure that permeates like this this kind of interaction so um because I, I feel like i am seeing some more increased diversity but inside the diversity I, i'm seeing like a layer of colorism so i'm not sure what that's going to do yet but i i want to i want to create some kind of forum there to, to discuss that i love it yeah and thank you for bringing that up jim we we didn't have time to go through it but i know exactly what you're talking about and you know one of the articles that you had shared was about somebody having to apologize for a role you know that she had taken because it the person that she was playing was a darker skinned and so she apologized to the darker skinned community and it's like oh my gosh but what are we doing internally to that community by saying oh that person has to apologize right you know it's just it's a really really complicated topic but um i think very important because it we're on we're just inundated by media all the time and particularly social media and i think i i talked about this with you earlier was that there's this um you know the TikTok thing i mean okay so i'm gonna say the TikTok things because i'm an elder millennial and now i feel old <laughs> calling it the TikTok. but so TikTok, i get i don't know I, i'm just gonna say the TikTok. um they have these competitions right and these filters and one of these filters says oh this is what your face would look like if it was perfect. And it's like sort of half the screen is your, you know, your normal face. And then the other half of the screen is the filter. And in every, and there's another one about the eye color. This is the perfect eye color for you. In every single one of these that says, this is gonna make you more beautiful. It lightens your eyes, it lightens your skin. And it's just so disturbing to see that, that like, wait a minute, this part of me, this, the melanin in my skin is like, what's going to make me attractive or not. It's just, um, it's kind of just sickening. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, I think it's really important to talk about how the media really does affect us in our everyday lives and just subconsciously and, and enters into our, our unconscious biases. You know, Nicole, um, just to kind of uh, bootstrap what you were talking about, the media and shows and stuff like that, my daughter was watching a show the other day, um, what's it called, uh, All American. And I'm looking at the cast of the show, and what I've noticed is that you have a lot of the lighter skin, you know, African-Americans who were affluent in this in this show. The darker skin African-Americans are not as affluent, tend to live in the hood, tend to speak in slang. Um, so you can even see it in this modern day show that we still have these biases the you know the the more attractive girls are you know they always find the lighter skin girls and and the less attractive ones are you know in the hood and this and that and they're darker and you know things are always rough for them and so you see this constantly you know even in shows that are so-called uh you know, multicultural, you'll still see the these biases. So just kind of wanted to bring that up because, you know, it's, it's still disturbing. But on the other hand, though, I have seen a number of commercials and stuff like that, interracial commercials. So there is, you know, there is the upside of this. You know, you know we've seen a lot of that as well, you know, whether it be rental car agencies or this or car commercials, you see these mixed couples and their mixed kids in the back and all is well with the world. 
So I, I have to look at both sides and say, you know what, things aren't as bad. You know, they're changing slowly. You know, we can't expect things that have, you know, that have been historic to change overnight. These perceptions change overnight. This is deeply, you know, uh, you know, rooted in many cultures, many cultures, and it's going to take a long time for it to change. So, I like that you brought up the show because I've been watching this show on Netflix. It's like some stupid teen drama, but it's like one of those shows you just throw on, right? And the main character um, is Indian. But when I'm, as you were talking, I was thinking about it and I, I was, when I was watching this show over the last couple of days, I was like, oh, I love that the lead is an Indian girl. And she's like, she goes from like the nerd to like the hot love interest. But when I think about the supporting cast, with the exception of one Asian woman and one biracial girl, they, the rest are all white and they're all still cast in those very like the the hot jock <laughs> you know or like the hot girls at school they're all white and then i'm gonna play devil's advocate a little bit but on the the whole commercial thing i have noticed that too but at one point i felt like it was overload where i was like wow we're really trying to prove a point here aren't we guys because we haven't been pro proving a point for hundreds of years <laughs> thousands of years right so I, I remember being like, oh, I love seeing more representation of myself as well as the people in my life in the media. But it was so abrupt that it kind of felt um, disingenuous. Yeah, I'm going to touch on that for a second. <laughs> yes, I mean, it, it can feel disingenuous at times because it was so abrupt. And I think um, I know the conversations that I've had with people about change or with people about change in general, just all types of changes uh, that we're trying to be better with DNI and stuff, right? Is that it is gradual. And I've heard the argument, well, we need to go to the other extreme from what we've been dealing with to kind of balance it out. And I personally don't necessarily think that that is the right step or the right way to kind of find that balance. I think it's going to be a gradual thing and there has to be tolerance on all sides for this as we change slowly, because as Tyrone said, it's going to be slow. It's not going to be this overnight thing because it's been around for so long. Um, even looking at the media in Bollywood, there is still a lot of the male actors will be a little bit diverse with darker skin tone and lighter skin tone, but the females for sure are always lighter still to this day. And then going into American television with, uh, you know, Bridgerton season two was a big thing for Indians, right? Because we finally had a, an Indian female in the British world, right? And I remember talking to my cousin about it because she and I are darker skin tone and we're like, I'm so happy that they casted a darker skin tone Indian because a lot of times in American television or television in general or movies, it will be a lighter skin tone Indian that gets put in to be shown as the most beautiful woman or, or the lead. Um, and, but again, you know, the rest of the cast and even, even her, like her, her family, her sister and her brother, uh, her mother, were both a little bit darker skin tone, but I feel like they were still a little bit lighter than her. Um, so that that diversity, I feel like really needs to be shown because it it's there, but it does need to be. And finding that balance is something like, 
it's just talking about it. We got to figure it out. We're not going to have the right answer right off the bat. I feel like, you know, and having everybody, including our allies kind of understand that it's not going to be the right answer right off the bat all the time. We're going to have to learn. We're going to have to talk about it. Um, and I think my message for allies in my life and in, in, in everybody's life would probably be just be tolerant and, and be understanding. And if you do accidentally and, you know, say something that is seen as colorism or a, a taken as colorism or is colorism, talk about it. You know, if someone brings it up to you, they're not trying to be mean to you. They're trying to one, help you and discuss it. Like if they don't technically have to say anything to you, a lot of times they'll just take it and not try to, to help the situation. So I don't know, talk about it, but in a, in a, you know, understanding way, objective way with each other. And if you do get called out on it or you do experience it, then, you know, try to be understanding and tolerate and not jump to one extreme, even though that emotion is there and, um, and you'll want to. It's really hard. I know I, I have to hold myself back all the time too, because I used to be that person that would just like jump on somebody. if anybody. Thank you so much for sharing Ricky. And um, I like, I would, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this because it's like currently my favorite movie. I know I'm 35 years old, but can we talk about Encanto? Because yeah. that is the first movie that has represented every single hair texture on the spectrum. And like, I just think that's beautiful. And it really resulted in, so Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is the person who did a lot of the, um, the music and the songs, um, you know, we don't talk about Bruno. Um, he had done films before. So he had done In the Heights. He had done Hamilton, right? The one that, that everybody's familiar with. And he came under fire for In the Heights. Okay, so he came under fire for In the Heights for not representing the Afro-Latino community enough, which is never represented enough. And so his response to that was, I'll do better next time. And then Encanto came out and he did better. And so I think by having these conversations and to your point, Ricky, by being empathetic and, you know, tolerant of, you know, I understand that other people have different perspectives um, and experiences and like, let me, like, let's incorporate that, right? Like, this is America, <laughs> like we have everything here, like let's incorporate it, it's what makes us um, amazing. Deanna, would you like to uh, close us out? Uh, yes, um, so thank you guys for sharing. Uh, that definitely touched a lot of um, experiences that not necessarily myself has had, but other stories that I've heard, right? Um, and even now, especially with the media and, and what's being accepted as a show with these conversations, I feel like there's still a lot of things that people go through that we don't know. And, um, you know, I, I really appreciate the vulnerability uh, within this group truly um, has definitely been pulling on my heartstrings more than I anticipated. So that's, that's kind of what I had just in regards to, you know, what's been out there in the media and whatnot, I really don't follow the news as much. I feel like that's probably why, especially since COVID has happened, I literally turned off the news, you know. Um, I'll watch YouTube videos or other channels from other countries and whatnot, just, you know, to still kind of get my international 
vibe, I guess, going on and, and seeing what's going on out there, but more from sourceful truths rather than what's on the media. So that's kind of my take. I love it, Sienna. Um, limiting your, your media intake, I think, is probably good for everyone, <laughs> like, frankly. Um, and also just getting curious, you know, um, I think that's a really, really great lesson that we can all learn from this. I think, you know, when we feel some type of way, I think it's incumbent upon us to really dive in and get curious without those prejudices there. And, you know, almost letting your guard down a little bit to be open to other people's experiences and, um, and you know, what we've been talking about. Thank you all um, again for joining us. This was a really powerful discussion and um, really looking forward to listening to it later. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>